to realize that there are certain things that are um, you will need help to do again if you if you really want to do it. Having to kind of hone in my focus a little more on what I can do versus dwelling on what you know I can't do anymore. Hey everyone, my name is Jack Kavanagh and you are very welcome to the Only Human Podcast. Today we go stateside as I welcome Kirk Williams to the podcast. The parallels between Kirk's story and that of my own are uncanny both adventurous spirits prior to sustaining a spinal cord injury early in our 20s. As a result, Kirk has about 20% muscle function as a C6, C7 quadriplegic. But that has not dampened his spirit. Kirk makes his living as an adventure photographer and drone pilot, and he lives his life exploring the world as an adaptive van lifer. Kirk has found and created freedom through building a custom camper van and has just returned from an eight-month trip around South America at the time of recording. As a world traveller, Kirk is hoping to use photography and storytelling to show people what is possible with the right attitude and to help provide wheelchairs to those who maybe otherwise wouldn't be able to access them in some of the far off places that he travels. There's so much for us to learn from Kirk's incredible attitude about how to navigate changing events in our lives, about adapting to the circumstances that were dealt and doing what you can with what you have. But more than that, the central tenant of Kirk's story is about never letting the adventurous spirit die. Enjoy. Kirk Williams, you are very welcome to the Only Human podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, Jack. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted. So a lot of people will recognize straight off that that's not an Irish accent. So where are you speaking to us from? I am coming to you from Ashland, Virginia, just north of Richmond, on the east coast of the U.S. here, uh, just getting back from a, a big eight-month trip down in South America and, and hanging out with my family here in Virginia before slowly working my way back to Colorado, which is where I call home. Beautiful. Um, Colorado's somewhere that's on my list to explore. Um, so we'll get into that trip that you mentioned because... Yep. It's kind of uh, everything for the last number of years has been working towards that. And it really represents who you are in, in a lot of ways from, from what I know anyway. Um, but I suppose to, to pull back um, a couple of years, uh, I actually met you at an event called No Barriers. And... Yeah. A lot of my listeners won't know about some of these parts of my own life. Um, so in the years after I had the spinal cord injury, I, I think one of the biggest things to do is to 
as you're trying to increase your independence again and explore some of the areas that maybe uh, have been more challenging to explore. And for me, that was adventure sports. Um, Finding a a community of like-minded people was so key. And and I met you. There was no barriers. That was probably eight years ago, right? Or so. Um, it was six years ago, five, maybe five, five years ago, five years ago. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Five, five, maybe no, five years ago. Okay. Um, and so we met each other in park city in Utah. Right. And, um, I was super intrigued by this guy, um, rocking around the world on, on wheels and yeah. li- living out of a van for the weekend. Yep. <laughs> right it's not everywhere you see that um so but for you to even get to that point maybe let's go back in your story a bit and tell us about who you were like as a teenager and growing up and as an early adult what what were you sure sure yeah um man going back it's it's Funny to go down memory lane while I'm actually in my parents' house right now because this is where it all, <laughs> my old stomping grounds, where it all started. Uh, but for me, growing up in Virginia, um, I was a, you know, kind of outdoorsy guy. I was really into mountain biking. It's kind of my passion. I used to even get up before high school and middle school and go ride sometimes, you know, 20 miles. So, you know, 30, 40 K. Uh, before school every day, or not every day, but a, a day or two a week, I would get up and, at 5.30 in the morning, go ride, and then go to school, and then end up ultimately sleeping through some of my classes because I'm so tired, and then get out of school and then go biking more. And so mountain biking, dirt bikes, four-wheelers, horses, kind of, it's, I'm in a rural uh, area. There's a big city nearby, but, you know, friends, own horses and have farms and stuff. So a lot more of the kind of countryside of things out here, um, you know, doing that, I had a landscaping business and, uh, kind of just, you know, doing the small town, uh, outdoorsy guy thing until college came along. And that's when I decided to go out West to Colorado. That's what originally took me out there was I went to the university of Colorado and Boulder, uh, for college. And the main reason I picked the school out there is because not so much of the academia, uh, but more of the location of the school. And it's in Colorado, you have these huge mountains, you have skiing, you have mountain biking, rock climbing, kayaking, you know, anything you want to do. And the the towns and the vibes of the people out there is everybody does these sports versus here in Virginia. I used to mountain bike and knew a couple people that did, but it wasn't like Colorado where, you know, more people bike than don't you go out to you know a bar or or to have lunch somewhere and you overhear people talking about their ride that morning um so i went to school in colorado um you know did four years of college and rode and skied and biked and all of that sort of thing and uh graduated and then about four months post-graduation or three months maybe uh i was out mountain biking yet again i was at, at Throughout this career, I kind of had reached a, a semi-professional level um, before kind of coming back down to just an advanced hobby level and loving it and working at bike shops. But bikes were always my life. Um, and I went over the handlebars on a trail that I rode 
thousand times and landed wrong and shattered three vertebrae in my neck. And, um, and that was, you know, similar to you where the master reset button was pressed and it was like, okay, you know, what's, what's chapter two, what's plan B, uh, for the story of Kirk. And that's where kind of the next journey began. Uh, yeah. Then I don't know. Yeah. Do you want me to go on a, a little bit on? It's, it's such a, a similar trajectory to my own story. You know, my, my passions were always, uh, adventure sports, um, windsurfing, uh, windsurfing, surfing. And I spent my summers working as a lifeguard, which is the nice. equivalent of, of working, uh, and as a windsurfing and surfing instructor, which is literally just a way for me to get more time on the water which is the equivalent of you working in the bike shops, you know, um, right. you, you find your tribe in a place like that uh, totally. and an in, environment in like that. Um, so what age were you when you had the spinal cord injury? I was 23, 23 years old. Okay. So I was 20 and yeah, they're the years in your life when you're, you're really just starting to build a strong sense of who you are and, yep. uh, and where you're going. So talk to us about what it's like to have that taken away. Oh, it's a big, uh, you know, yeah. Going through the accident is definitely a big change. It's humbling <laughs> to say the least. Um, and I know, you know, it, it, it's just hard to go from doing anything and, and feeling like there was nothing without of out of reach. You know, if you really wanted to do something, you could figure it out physically um, speaking, of course, more than, you know, certain things, but uh, you know, I was really in shape and a really athletic guy. So I felt like if, you know, I wanted really wanted to climb up this mountain or I really wanted to reach this or do a pull up or a climb, you know, I could always do it. And then having that taken to where, you know, not, not the fact that you can't walk being so big as like, you know, I can't reach this on top of this, or I can't hike up this anymore. And having to realize that there are certain things that are, um, you will need help to do again, if you, if you really want to do it. And that was really tough pill to swallow early on. Uh, and having to kind of hone in my focus a little more on what I can do versus dwelling on what, you know, I can't do any anymore. But I'll be honest, I was really fortunate that I have, uh, for one, an incredible support group of family and friends. And um, I played wheelchair rugby pretty soon thereafter and, and things like that that helped me really integrate back into this this new life that I've um, slowly formed since then. And as well as I've had a very strong mental game of if plan A isn't an option anymore, what's plan B? Um, and when mm. I say that, I, I mean, I don't even really think too much about plan A anymore, you know, a little bit here and there. And I look at things or I'll see a video or hear a song or something that will take me back to, oh, man, you know, I, I wish I could do this. Or sometimes I dream still about mountain biking and things like that. And that's that's the plan A phase. But I really went into like, OK, here's what I'm given. Here's here's the cards I'm dealt. What am I going to do with this? Um, what's plan B and pretty early on, I'd say within, within two months after my injury or a month or so, um, I was really 
not really dwelling on walking again as much as focusing on what functions do I have? What can I do? Um, and how am I going to get the strongest and do the most with what I've got? Uh, and that's kind of slowly uh, transformed my life into doing a lot more than I ever, you know, if you'd asked me, shoot, any time after breaking my neck in the first year or two, um, if I would be able to do what I'm doing now, I would have thought it was just a, you know, a dream. There's no way in, in the world I would get to this point. And so it's kind mm -hmm. of cool to almost give myself a pat on the back and be like, wow, Kirk, you made it way further than you ever thought possible uh, just by clicking things off one notch at a time and figuring out what can you do and how do you, um, how do you build a life that can be fulfilling and that, you know, the independence being the strongest thing. Um, how am I able yeah. to do things what I, when I want, you know, um, versus having to wait for help to do everything. Yeah. And you know what, like, I think for so many people, um, in different guises in their life, maybe not in the way that physically it's happened to us, but they have a before and an after, you know, we all have these events that happen. Totally. Um, I, my, one of my phrases is everybody has their shit. It's just boxed in different ways. Yep. And totally like these, these events shape us and, and, often things are never the same and that's that can be okay right. you know we can live really really well um in, in a whole host of different contexts yeah and so that's that led you on this journey of like well how do i do how do i explore the world i suppose ultimately in right. in this body that's functioning a little bit differently so what kind of function do you have just to give the listeners context yeah uh, i broke c4 5 and 6 in my neck the cerebral spine and uh so my function level is like a c5 6 and what that means is i have no no dexterity in any of my fingers i can't twitch move do anything with any one of my fingers but i have um still pretty strong arms nothing from kind of chest level down function wise. And then I have a tricep in one arm, not in the other, you know, little things, wrist flexion and things like that better in one arm than the other. Um, and so, yeah, I have, I, I feel like I have kind of that, that real fine line of if I had any or much less at all, um, you know, it's basically you use with what you've got. You can always dwell on, man, if my hands worked, you know, uh, it would, this world would be a piece of cake. I'm sure you feel the same way. You're like, hands are the <laughs> most underrated thing out there. I'd rather have hands than legs any day. But then again, yeah. you know, if I broke my neck, I used to say, if I broke my neck, let's say an inch lower or, you know, uh, my hands would work, my arms would work. I could, you know, play the piano again. I could be a mechanic. I could draw. I could do all this. But then again, if I break my neck an inch higher, I wouldn't be able to feed myself. I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. Um, you know, that it, it, I wouldn't be able to be independent is really what it would come down to. And so thank God that I'm at at least this point here where I can drive and I can get out and do things. Uh, and that was something I learned early on after my accident by going to a spinal cord rehab kind of facility to work out and, uh, and train. 
and there were a lot of higher level quads than I was. And when I would come in and complain about, you know, my toothbrush or something being annoying um, and me having trouble hitting the buttons or reaching a light switch, they're like, Kirk, I can't even feed myself. I can't even do. And, and I was like, whoa, like I, I never thought about that. Yet these people had been injured for years and are the happiest, most wholesome people. And I'm like, man, if you can figure out how to be happy and, and not have this frustration of constantly feeling like you can't do things on your own, then I should be able to figure it out with more function than, than you have. Uh, to this day, there's still some of my closest friends, um, you know, are people who have even less function than I. So it's all relative. It's all, you know, kind of how you mm. put your mind around it. Yeah, absolutely. It is a mental game, like perspective shapes our reality and and it's that thing of are you are you working with what you got or what you don't have and um yeah you'll always you'll always be lacking if if you're playing with the the glass half empty you know whereas very much i took a similar approach kirk that if i double down on what i can do what, what i do have my life will transform in a way that I that I didn't even know was possible at that time. Totally. Um, so, so how have you leveraged the function that you do have? What what has that journey of independence looked like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, mine similar to yours, and and the time that I met you, and what I've seen you've done since. Um, you know, it's early on, it was a matter of, you know, each day kind of uh, doing a little bit more, if you can, going for a little bit longer push, pushing up a little bit steeper hill, taking the dog on a walk a little bit further. Um, And then ultimately, it led to, you know, getting a driver's license again, which was huge, that gave me the freedom to get out and that, you know, being stronger and being able to drive meant I could drive somewhere and go for a push you know, and do things like that. Um, and then the big thing that, that you did, and we met at No Barriers, and what I'm lucky living in, in Colorado allows me to do is try a lot of different adaptive sports. And, you know, therapy is one thing uh, in the sense of lifting weights or being in a standing frame or a FES bike or some of these different things. But uh, I've kind of realized early on that my true therapy was getting back out into the outdoors, feeling the wind in my face from riding a hand cycle, you know, being on a sailboat or going scuba diving or doing all these things um, that give me the the ability to still have that adventure lifestyle uh, and, and um, try different sports. And, And that's what kind of made me the happiest. That was much stronger therapy uh, than, you know, any gym could provide. Um, so I kind of took it as a personal mission early on to try anything and everything I could, um, sport wise and slowly work my way down the list of what ones I could see myself doing more of, you know, uh, I kind of tell people that going through an accident like this doesn't necessarily, uh, change. How did I say it? Uh, like it doesn't, your garage full of gear doesn't empty itself out. It just changes to new gear. Like I went from having bicycles and skis everywhere to now rugby chairs, hand cycles and scuba diving equipment. You know, I'm still doing a lot of sports. I just have different gear for different sports. And so I mm. went down and I, I tried, 
fortunately at Craig Hospital, after I broke my neck, that they have our therapeutic recreation department. Um, and I was very fortunate if I was to break my neck somewhere, at least it happened where it did, uh, because there was Craig Hospital, which is kind of a world-renowned rehab facility for spinal cord injuries right in Denver, maybe 45 minutes from where my accident happened, so right there. Um, and that ho hospital took me scuba diving, you know, as an inpatient. I was already in a hand cycle, you know, a month and a half after my accident. I was able to try um, adaptive sailing. I was able to go on field trips to different things and, and introduce to athletes, para-athletes across the board that gave me kind of a carrot at the end of the line, if you will, for me to go after. I realized that, wait, I can still be active despite not moving 80% of my body. Um, and how am I going to figure this out? And, and so that was kind of the big driving force of, uh, of early on was to get back outdoors, which ultimately led to being more independent because I would want to go for a ride, which meant I would need to eventually learn how to get on and off my bike on my own in order to go for a ride, um, which led to, you know, ultimately you're riding and your water bottle fall, falls on the ground and you're maybe by yourself. So now you're like, hmm, I need to figure out how to pick this water bottle up off the ground while on a ride. And, and all these things just kind of snowball until next thing you know, you're traveling, you're doing things completely on your own. And you're like, wow, I've I figured this kind of out. It felt like such a long road. I don't even know how I got here, but I'm doing it. It's happening. Yeah, it's that innovation is really accelerated dramatically when you face challenge. And that that is that necessity is the mother of innovation, you know. And if Absolutely. if you're passionate if you're passionate about these activities and these sports and this lifestyle, um, it becomes a necessity to figure out how do you do it. And I can completely resonate with you in terms of the kit um, in the garage analogy, because um, previously my, my garage was uh, set up with, uh, with uh, my, my windsurfing trailer with, with right completely kitted out with boards and sails and masts and wetsuits on on racks and so on and now it's like it's hand bikes and it's adapted yep. kayaks and stuff like this totally. and totally. uh i i always uh, joke because i always wanted my own van and i wanted a van so that i could uh kit out the back of it to keep my gear in there and have a bed and to sleep by the beach and all of yep. these kind of things and i just ended up with a van in a different reason for a different yep. reason uh, <laughs> 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 so it's funny how things come full circle and i remember being in uh in rehab and we had these mentors that would come in and a guy called barry cook came in to see me and I told him at the time um I told him that like I will drive a van and I will have different equipment that will facilitate me being as independent as possible nice. I'll have different different bikes and so on totally. and at that time I think everybody around me and to a certain extent I was still at the point as well of 
of doing everything you can to keep your body in a position to walk and like mm -hmm. everybody around you is clinging on to that whereas right. for me it became like well how do i live well today yep and how do i maintain my body as best it can be for no other reason than that's the right thing to do anyway as a right. human being totally. and and yeah so i a few years later barry actually uh is the guy that has helped me de design all my bespoke bikes and chairs and he he said to me jack do you remember in rehab you told me about this vision you have look at your van and what's in it <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> nice. he, he was like you did it <laughs> very cool um, so so that's kind of the path that you end up like as you as you said you like exploring these different avenues and and um also an area that, and that ultimately leaves you to traveling and we'll get to that in a, in a moment yep. but um you realize another as well big that, thing I'd, i think i always like to press on people is if possible i i think it's great to network with other people um and you know with similar uh, function or similar abilities, whether it's other quads or paraplegics for, you know, obviously for us with spinal cord injuries, other people, other quads, other spinal cord injuries, um, like wheelchair rugby, quad rugby was absolutely huge and like leapfrogging my evolution of becoming independent again. Um, because now I'm hanging out with uh, who I call old timers, guys who've been in chairs for maybe 30, 40 years, you know, who have families and kids and live on their own and do all these things, you know, are out mowing their own lawn and using a weed whacker to like trim the hedges and doing different things that you never in your wildest dreams thought were possible. And then you, they show you how they do it. You know, they, I remember an example, um, kind of one of my mentors was a guy, Jason Regeer, who's a Paralympic rugby player. He's a 0.5. So he's got even less function than me. Um, he actually, he is the Denmark rugby team's coach right now and travels over there. And, and, um, he came in and visited me in the room at Craig hospital, told me about rugby. And then we became really close friends. And I remember at one of the practices, just asking him, you know, a basic question of like, how do you use the dog scoop to get dog food for your dog? Like every time I use this scoop, it spins in my hands and it falls over. And he tells me, well, take a Gatorade bottle, cut the top half off, punch all here, run a zip tie through it so you can loop your thumb through the zip tie. And then you just scoop this bottle up and can dump it, you know, with a thumb hook. And I'm like, huh, I get what you're saying. Went home, made it. Sure enough, it worked perfectly. And it's because, like you said, necessity is the mother of invention, but you don't need to reinvent the wheel. People, other people in wheelchairs have done this stuff before and being around them, you can learn so much so quick chair fit, tires, brakes, you know, what they drive, how they fish, how they, you know, bike, whatever, and use that to your advantage to quickly find your niche and what works for you. Um, and, and that's something that I really press on any, any newer injuries or people who are looking to get back to active lifestyles is it's uncomfortable and it's awkward at first to get around or to hang out with other people sometimes, you know, with disabilities who you don't know yet, but being around them, I think you can pick something up from everyone you meet, and especially people who face similar challenges to you can teach you more than any rehab hospital could ever teach you. 
if that makes sense. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, and putting yourself out in the big bad world is the ultimate rehab, you know? Yep. Um, so one of the things that I like to say is that the only thing that enables or disables any individual is the environment in which they exist. And, totally. um, that is the physical, the psychological, the social, the cultural, and um, the legal environment. Mm-hmm. But possibly the one that we have the most control over is our, our mental, which you've started with, uh, yep. and then our physical and you systematically have gone about creating physical environments for yourself that give you the opportunity to maximize your function and yep. to maximize the extent to which you explore different areas through equipment. And I've done the same. Um, and, and also, really interestingly, uh, the extent to which you can have a meaningful and productive work life. Um, totally, yep. So tell me a little bit about what your your work life looks like and how yeah. that has changed. Yeah, no, I really like the way you phrased that. I appreciate that compliment. That's, that means a lot. And that's, that's something that I've, I did have purposefully strived to do is how to maximize my independence and, uh, and I'll get more on how I did that later. But um, a big thing for me, you know, being young, similar to you, when my accident happened, you know, there was kind of the order of, of events, as, as you will, are, uh, you know, first was to regain enough strength that I could, you know, uh, get in and out of bed on my own, that I could do transfers. It took me, you know, a year, year and a half to be able to shower on my own and to be able to go to the bathroom. Um, and playing rugby and stuff allowed me the chance to start traveling a little bit with the rugby team and learning different things there, getting my driver's license. All of this led to independence and feeling wholesome again. Um, once I started figuring out what equipment I liked and getting grants and figuring out ways to afford hand cycles and getting out and riding, I enjoyed it. But I hit a point kind of maybe five or six years post-accident where I had I could camp on my own in the van. Um, I could, I was more or less living on my own. I needed help, you know, cutting things and reaching high things and little odds and ends. But for the, for the majority of the time, I was fairly mostly independent, but I ran into this like void of what am I going to do with my life? You know, you're, everybody dreams of retirement, but when you're 25 years old and, and you're essentially living a retired life, you start going stir crazy because all of your friends are working during the week. You know, you have nobody to hang out with, you have nothing to do. And I can only do so much by myself before I miss the camaraderie as well as I, I need goals. I need passions. I need something to focus my energy and effort towards. And that led me on this next quest of what can I do as a job? What can I do for work? Um, I was fortunate. I get some funding from the government that helps with, uh, rent and things like that and help offset some of my expenses, but it wasn't enough money to allow me to travel and to buy, you know, cool toys and to do things like that. So I knew I would need a job in order to live the lifestyle that I really wanted to live to be able to afford it. Um, photography being the number one thing that I was into right before my accident. I didn't really talk much about that earlier, but I went to school for sociology, but I was really chasing an adventure photography career. I was uh, shooting a lot of rock climbers, mountain bikers, skiers, all the sports I loved and 
participated in. I was, I would say, at a fairly elite level, but I had friends that were professional legitimately. And so I figured if I can carry a camera, I don't slow them down too much. And I get cool shots of them doing this crazy stuff. And then we both get to go on these awesome trips and people are paying for us to do these trips. And that was kind of my shoe in to how I was able to still go with my buddies all over the world and take pictures of them doing stuff that I would never do, but I was able to at least get to the point where they're doing them. Uh, and so after my accident, the camera came back into play. Um, I was constantly figuring out different ways to hold the camera, to take pictures using things like a remote shutter, which most people plug into the side of your camera and you can take night photography with it by pressing a button. It essentially takes camera shake out of the camera. I, instead of doing it that way, actually balanced the camera in my hands and then had the remote shutter in my mouth. And so I would bite down halfway on the remote shutter, would autofocus the camera all the way down and take the picture. And that gave me the freedom to hold a camera anywhere I wanted and then use my teeth actually to take the picture uh, because my, you know, the dexterity wouldn't allow it. Um, and mm. I guess five years ago, uh, that was the first kind of inkling of uh, aerial photography of drones and some of my, my adventure sports friends, the same people I was talking about earlier, um, came to me and said, Hey, Kirk, have you thought about flying drones? You could do everything from the seat of your chair, but still go out and shoot us climbing and skiing and doing these things. Um, and that was kind of a light bulb going off. I was at a point where I was pretty strong and pretty comfortable, um, living on my own and doing my own thing. And so it was like, there's very few jobs in this world that I can do and even fewer that I'd really want to do. <laughs> and this one seemed to, to fill both of those voids. So I said, all right, let's try this. Let's go. And I kind of went full speed ahead into starting my company, Bird's Eye Optics, that was um, aerial photography and film. Uh, and then from there, I guess the next few years was just kind of the evolution of the drone. And, and um, what was great about the job was that now I had a purpose. I was learning about not just taking pictures and going out and practicing, but about business expenses, about building websites, um, about you know marketing. Uh, one big thing I had to learn was just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're going to get work doing it. You know, you have to market yourself out there. You have to let people know and prove that you can, you know, uh, do the jobs. But it also led me to going all the way, you know, to California and to Alaska and to different places on these shoots that I would have never gone to otherwise. Um, that, you know, a lot of photography, the, the key is uh, good lighting, you know, so sunrise and sunset, the golden hours are the best times to take photos. So because of the drone photography, I was now getting up sometimes at three, four in the morning to drive somewhere to set up and be ready right as the sun peaks to get shots of, you know, this person biking or this for this car commercial or this uh, real estate shoot. And, you know, that's now a purpose in life and, and giving me fulfillment because I'm actually doing something. And also I'm getting thrill out of it. You know, taking pictures always excites me. Um, you know, sunrise and beautiful locations, like what's not to love about that. Uh, and just the technology and there's an adrenaline rush of dear God, please don't let me crash this thing. You know, a couple mm. clients hired me to fly sometimes 70, $80,000 cameras under a drone. 
you know, over a stadium. Um, I did a, a 360 shoot for a college, you know, flying a camera that cost more than, you know, practically the house I was living in. And so as you're flying that, I definitely would have sweat beads coming off my forehead, just praying that everything worked right. Um, <laughs> but that's excitement. And that's what you and I live for, like little moments like that. And, uh, and that ultimately led me to, to traveling more because I realized it shoots, it was uh, hard for me to get up and get out to locations early, that early in the morning sometime sometimes and i kind of had this epiphany like if i can camp at these locations in my car then i just have to kind of roll out of bed and then be ready to fly or ready to take pictures um and that was kind of the evolution of me slowly adapting a van um to to camp and live um and travel and shoot and do photography and everything out of um which led me down this long road of of the adaptive van life which is what is the ultimate of uh of independence for me i believe yeah it's it's really remarkable because here here you are like this guy with 15 20 percent muscle function um mm. rocking around the world on wheels on to the general public this is beyond comprehension that um, you can travel and be independent in the likes of Alaska and the mountains of Colorado and totally. down in California and, and, and so on. But like the limitations are literally only perceived and the person who perceives them is you. Yep. And I have found them to be entirely valid and true in my own experience as well. Um, nice. And the beauty is, is that with a little bit of help, like what you can do is, is just remarkable as well in terms of if you're willing to take a little bit of help here and there, mm -hmm. the, the world becomes your oyster again as well, um, which is, totally. which is cool. And so like you very much exist in the stretch zone, um, regularly stretching yourself and so like the obvious next stretch is to um to beef up <laughs> the type of uh, of van that you're you're exploring in yeah. and to take on take on some bigger adventures right so <laughs> so that leads to yeah what in kinda... many ways has been an interesting journey over the last couple of years totally you know and, and even prior to that i'm gonna backtrack just a little bit more the van as well, I'm going to go back even a little further than that. Uh, so my first car after breaking my neck was a van. Um, and that was kind of out of necessity. I'd never really, unlike you, I'd never really seen myself in a van. I had kind of a, if I could fit bikes on the roof or on the back, I just needed a car to take me to the trails to go biking. Um, so I bought a van after my accident because I needed one to get in and out of, but I quickly realized in the back of the van that there were seats that I was never really using. I didn't take too many passengers, but what I really missed was camping with friends out in the desert and in the mountains. So my, one of my first trips in the van was back here to the East coast where I am now. And I have friends that own a metalworking shop here. And I said, you know, guys, I, I, I'm kind of thinking about just taking these seats out and building a bed platform. What do you think? And they're like, you know, if you want to do that, we'll build it for you, Kirk. We can make that happen. 
I was like, all right, let's try it. So we built this bed in the back of my van and that all of a sudden opened all these doors of now I'm back out camping with my friends again. I wasn't able to set up a tent or transfer on and off the ground, but I can transfer on and off a bed if it's at the right height. And so my whole life or the last 10 years has been finding these little uh, nuances of what can I do and how do I make it the easiest for me? What cutlery allows me to cook easier? What sink design allows me to wash dishes easier? You know, where does my bathroom need to be that's an easy transfer? Where are light switches? All these things go into, you know, figuring out how to make my life the easiest possible. And if you look at the big picture, a lot of times, like many things in life, it's daunting. But if you can really break it down to individual steps and how to problem solve them one at a time, next thing you know, the big picture turns into something that's feasible. Uh, and the van is, is my current van setup is ultimately the combination of all of these tips and tricks over the last 10 years packed into one concentrated freedom pod on wheels that gives me independence to cook, clean, shower, bathe, sleep, you know, refrigerate, and then on top of all of it, travel. Um, and Explore. so I'm taking the two hardest things about travel, which is lodging and transportation out of the equation. I now bring my lodging and my transportation with me everywhere I go on top of all those other concentrated, uh, you know, like I was saying, the, the little tips and tricks inside this little capsule. And that has given me the ability to go all over the US, all, you know, into Mexico. And in this most recent trip um, in this vehicle was, I shipped from the US actually down to Santiago, Chile, but spent three or four months driving around Patagonia over into Argentina and then was planning on doing a full trip around South America through, you know, uh, Uruguay, Brazil, Bolivia, Peru, um, you know, all the way up Colombia, um, Ecuador, et cetera, back to the U.S., except for COVID kind of struck and stopped me um, about three or four months ago, I guess now, or five months ago now, um, and kind of ended that trip. But the the thing i it was kind of a light bulb moment another light bulb moment um was after the drone business i had a gig in alaska and i did a kickstarter campaign to drive up there and that was in a different van but driving in a van seeing alaska from the back of a van um that basically just had a bed a cheap tupperware cabinet that you could you know buy at any little thrift store, nothing fancy, and then a cooler, um, a 12 volt cooler that just plugged into the cigarette lighter and a Coleman camp stove is all I had. And I spent three months traveling around Alaska with one of my best friends from college. And it was like, oh my God, this is how I can still see the world. This is the ultimate ticket for me is to build a van like this. Uh, um, and you know, it was after doing Alaska, if I've been as far north as I can go from the U.S., where do I go? And it's like, let's go south. And that's where kind of I started the idea for South America. It's just epic on so many levels. <laughs> like, I'm so inspired. <laughs> and, and I know this story. Um, and yeah. I love that you called it a freedom pod. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and and. This, this, there's like layers to why I think this is so cool. Um, uh-huh. Like so many layers because like the psychology 
behind this is, you know, it's our minds that create the barriers that we put in our lives so often. It's like we, we take very much like, and you and I have both had to recognize that like certain realities exist and we can't argue with them, yeah. but we can choose to put other barriers in our way, our own way, or we can choose to find the road around. And like calling this a freedom pod is, is not only like mentally liberating, like it's emotionally yep. liberating because it gets you to expand your experiences and have ways to have a release valve and to explore and, and to Absolutely. manage yourself like that. It's, it's an like in terms of energetically, it's, it's incredible as well because as you said you've taken the two biggest barriers that cause stress and take energy and upset which is the transport and the lodgings and um, mm-hmm. out of the equation and then you've just given yourself like literally as you fra- phrased it like freedom to be right. wherever you want to be but the beauty is is you're you're carrying with you everything that gives you that independence totally um, and a little personal space sometimes you know even even just i i come back here to virginia in the van and i end up sleeping in the van in the in front of my house versus in the house because it's just my little zone it's my little nook that i just feel at home i know i can reach and do everything you know i built it entirely to work the to make my life as easy as possible. Every switch, every nook and cranny was thought of with, with what would work for me and mine. Um, so it's, it's easier even than staying at a fancy ADA, you know, hotel room or some accessible suite. Like my van is still, I'd rather be there than 99% of the places I ever visit. So it's cool. I love it. Amazing. And, and so tell us about this trip. Um, because I think for anybody that's listening, like do yourself a favor and go on to impactoverland.com and check out the blogs there because the photography and where Kirk and his brother Clay have brought this thing is mind-blowing. Mind Thank you. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, the website I'm working on getting, I have an enormous amount more content that i just need to finally get on there but you know how that goes sometimes um Mm. but the the trip to south america so as i kind of said i went up into alaska that kind of got the ball rolling of international travel um within this van and south america patagonia in particular was somewhere i'd always wanted to visit and see Um, now i've traveled quite a bit um, and I've been very fortunate over the years uh, to go to different places, but I prefer to be off the beaten path and not, I'm not a big like tourist destination kind of guy. I don't um, really like being around tons of people. I don't like big cities. And that's tricky being a quadriplegic because ultimately those are the places that are easiest for us to, to venture out to see, um, you know, going through the mountains of Tibet, let's say would be tricky for us unless you have you know, a vehicle you can drive and camp and sleep of. Um, and so Patagonia all of a sudden seemed within reach. It was something that I, a place I wanted to go pre-injury and thought, well, you know, there goes that. And then over the years, it kind of turned into, wait, I think I can still do this. I just need j- new tools to get there. And 
So as I started planning this trip, I came back from Alaska. I took a trip to Peru with a girlfriend at the time um, and went to Machu Picchu and took bus rides everywhere. And on these buses, they used to have to have two or three people carry me into the bus, throw my wheelchair somewhere. I couldn't leave the seat. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I wouldn't get off at any of the short stops because I was just, I felt bad having everybody help me on and off for like a 10 or 15 minute stop. Um, so I kind of saw a lot of Peru or some of Peru and fell in love with what I saw, but I was frustrated with not having the ability to explore more on my own, not to feel independent. Um, and even our hotel that we paid a fortune to sleep in was accessible, quote unquote, but there were two steps to the bottom of the wheelchair ramp to go up to get in the hotel. So every time I still needed help, steps to get the ramp to actually go in the hotel just one of those funny predicaments that you see in you know parts of the world but I came back from this trip and and said you know I want to get back down there someday but I need my own car and the van I had currently uh, was not proving to be reliable really at all it was always a ticking time bomb that things were going wrong on and so I put it for sale um, for quite a significant amount more money than I thought I would get for it, just you know, on Facebook, just to see if there was anybody out there. And the very next day, somebody bought it. Um, and when that happened, all of a sudden, I had more money than I thought I would get for this old car. I was selling it, and I was like, "Wow, this this might actually happen. Let's do this full speed ahead." Um, so from there, I built or I bought a van. I've got some funding through the state to help modify it, and because I had done this Alaska trip. Um, and had lived in other vans, I kind of knew little nuances like, for instance, having a phone charger that's near your pillow. Um, you know, my old van used to plug in up by the, the dash, which was fine when you're driving, but if you're charging your phone at night and somebody calls or you um, forget to turn off your alarm, you now have to transfer out of bed into your chair, go up to the front, you know, maybe transfer into the driver's seat just to get to your phone to unplug it. Uh, which is, you know, as we both know, that's not a two second ordeal. That's five minutes of transfers and moving to get there. And then you have to do all that in reverse to get back in bed. So I knew when mm -hmm. building out this new van, I would have a plug by my pillow. I would have, you know, t tables I can roll under. Um, I would mount the fridge higher up in the air where it's easier for me to lift things with two hands and put it on my lap versus trying to pick something up um, from down low and get it to my lap. And so I was very lucky working with sponsors and with um, funding and different things to build the ultimate dream rig, my ultimate van, um, which is what I have now that I built with this trip to South America in mind. Uh, ultimately, it took about a year and a half, two years to, to get the van, to find the funding, to build it, to design it, to work through all the kinks, um, and then to find funding and scholarships and then save money to go down to South America. And I started uh, the company or the, it's not really a company, but the branding, I guess you will, of Impact Overland um, with this in mind. And the reason I call it that is because I want to travel overland over, you know, potentially around the world while making a positive impact along the way. Uh, and what I'm trying to do is kind of twofold. It's to help those with the means, those of us who are just sheerly fortunate and privileged to live in a country where we could potentially afford a vehicle like this um, or a van or a vehicle in general period as well as I'm working with the walkabout foundation that's that's out of London um, to help campaign raise money awareness and ultimately deliver wheelchairs 
and mobility devices to people around the world who who can't even afford a wheelchair, who haven't even, you know, uh, haven't even left their house sometimes in years because they're crawling around on the floor and they, there's no insurance, there's no wheelchairs, there's nothing out there. And, you know, in my travels, it travel humbles you in a way that uh, it's hard to kind of explain any other way um, than seeing it yourself. But you realize how privileged we are to be in, in first world or rich, wealthy nations where insurance and medical supplies exist. Because, you know, imagine if this had happened to us, Jack, and we're somewhere where we can't even get a wheelchair. You know, how, how different would your life be then? How positive and how stoked would you be if you uh, can't work, can't leave the house and your family thinks you're a nuisance to them? Um, and so I'm really trying to use my privilege and my expertise in, in storytelling and photography and, uh, and inspire and also educating people to hopefully ultimately bring mobility um, to those who, who can't even, you know, uh, get around on their own. And that's kind of been the driving cause of South America. It was to go down. Um, make a big adventure, teach people, A, about uh, the mobile lifestyle of adaptive van life, you know, being a quadriplegic. If they see pictures of me in Torres del Paine or, you know, Cerro Castillo or some of these big mountain ranges um, or wherever, uh, and they realize, wow, if this guy's out there doing it and he can't move 80% of his body, like, what's my excuse? Why am I not going out there and doing this? Um, and also build a network of people with vans or school buses or tiny homes or whatever they want to build these little, you know, going back to the freedom pod, their little escape, their home on wheels. I'm happy to help them all along the way with any questions they may have. And we're now getting a big community of people to network together with one another, what they like, what they don't like, you know, the ingenuity, the different designs. Um, and then ultimately, trying to raise $15,000 that gives me the ability to send a full container full of wheelchairs um, somewhere in the world of my choosing that also provides mobility. So hitting the mobility standpoint in both the developing countries as well as the, the developed countries and how to get people out uh, and moving around and seeing and feeling free again. Yeah, I love it. I love it um yeah the layers to it just add really to the to the beauty of the mission you know um what does it mean to you to be able to share that that journey and i suppose in many ways you've done it with different people but to be able to share trips like you've done with people that are uh, important to you you mentioned uh, uh a pre previous girlfriend you mentioned oh, your yeah. best friend you mentioned clay clay your brother yep yep um you know it's it's interesting because i i strived for so long to be able to function and to be independent uh and it was kind of uh, I had to prove to myself that I could do things on my own um, just for me to like feel good about uh, that, that I'd achieved my goal, if you will. 
Um, but after I hit that point and I traveled quite a bit, pretty extensively around the U.S. and even spent some time, excuse me, I just hit the mic, um, in Mexico, solo traveling, that I kind of realized that it's, it's a lot more fun traveling with people and there's a lot to be uh, shared or a lot to shared experiences um, that, you know, I, I really loved. And especially in my, I mean, think, I think I can do a lot with what I have, but I think I still uh, don't ignore the fact that I am vulnerable and I have certain, there are, there are things I can't do and things that are very small, um, such as, you know, turning a Phillips head screwdriver in a hard to reach place, or even, even an easy to reach place for that matter. I can't do that sort of thing. So fixing things on the road or keeping things operable, um, something as small as a flat tire could be lethal for us. And in the U S and, and developed countries, it's, I don't feel that kind of fear of if this goes wrong, you know, I'm going to, I could die on the side of the road. But in places like Mexico or South America or places where I don't speak the language, I don't know the culture, I don't know exactly where I'm going to be or I'm going to be exploring dirt roads in the middle of nowhere, I want to make sure I have a backup plan. And I also love the camaraderie of having somebody with me. Um, but I, I kind of always make sure, I guess this is a long-winded answer, but like my trip to South America, I knew I wasn't doing solo. I started planning the trip three years before I left. And I had no idea who was coming with me, but I started with like, somehow I'm going down here. Somehow I'm building this van. Somehow I'm going to do something meaningful during this trip. I'm not just going to have, you know, Kirk's big adventure. Like I'm so fortunate to be able to do this. How can I give back to the community of people I see along the way? Um, and how am I going to find funding? All of these questions were going, but I knew one way or another, I was going to try and make this happen. And as things kind of started to fall into place, I really wanted the woman of my dreams to join me. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of hard to meet somebody and immediately put the pressure of like, Hey, how do you feel about moving into a van and traveling for a year? You know, most people have jobs, have, you know, school loans, things like that, that they need to pay back. And, and not only that, two people cramped in a van, even your best bud of your entire life, you're going to bump heads at some point or another. That's, that's a really tight space. Um, and my brother kind of started mentioning to me that he's looking for an adventure and he's, he may be interested. And I got really excited. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, kind of towards the end of the year, he said, I'll quit my job. I'll go. But I want it to be my adventure, too. So I'm going to ride a motorcycle. I'm going to camp on my own. Um, he's kind of the way we looked at it is I'm his support vehicle. So I carry some spare parts and we cook and he has a place to be where it's warm and not rainy and things like that. But he's my support human. Um, so he helps me through the curbs through, a, if I get a flat tire, if I need to tighten up that Phillips head screw, um, you know, running into grocery stores or markets, everything down there has one step in or out of the buildings to keep the bugs and the rain, scorpions, stuff like that out of the buildings. But that one step now makes it so I can't go in and out of any of these buildings on my own without a little bit of help. Um, and that's where mm -hmm. my brother was huge. He was there and helped with all of this stuff but also was on his motorcycle. So we were both kind of having a shared separate adventure, if you will. Um, he wanted to make sure he wasn't there as my caretaker so much as my companion and my, my uh, 
you know, just another adventure on the trip. And because of all the thought and every effort and everything that went into the van, I knew I could live on my own. I knew I could do these things on my own, but I also knew having help there would make them infinitely easier and open so many more doors than I could ever do on my own. Yeah. Amazing. It's, it's so huge. Just being open to that even. Um, it's one of the big things that I think I struggled with at the beginning was that dichotomy of, of not wanting help, but needing help. And then, and then later, uh, later, maybe not necessarily needing the help, but welcoming the help at times, um, you know, um, Kirk, we're coming towards the end. Um, none of us know how long we get. And it's something I ask all of my guests is how would you like to be remembered? What impact or mark would you like to leave? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, You know, I think, I think in a way what's happened recently in the world uh, with the coronavirus and, and the, is kind of interesting because we had an experience when we broke our necks um, of realizing how quick life can change in the blink of an eye. Um, and that I'll be darned. I'd say to myself that I'll let that happen or, you know, again, or I will, I'll be darned if I'm not living my each day to its fullest or trying to get after things that I love to do in life, because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And I think globally, People maybe had this new inkling with the coronavirus that they didn't see coming either that changed everybody's life, um, or a lot of people's anyway, some, you know, losing jobs, all these things. And so I, I hope that as far as what they remember from me is, is that I'm somebody who took each opportunity that came my way, you know, and, and said yes more than I said no and didn't come up with excuses, but instead went after it and also inspired more people to do that themselves because you know life it's cliche but life is short things can change so so dang fast that you never know what's going to happen tomorrow and there's no excuse for not doing what you want to do today um, and to make the most out of each day as best you can so i guess that's my elevator pitch (laughs) if you will i love it yes winning 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 um kirk where where can people find out a little bit more about you if they want to the impact uh overland on instagram is probably the the best um the website like you said impactoverland.com um those are kind of the two main ones right now and uh and if you're interested yeah i have campaigned campaigns up for the walkabout foundation donation on my instagram and on my website um and then you know, we'll kind of see what happens from here, but yeah, hopefully. And then if anybody's interested in looking at vans or talking vans, I'm building a community kind of now of places for us to network with one another about what we've built and what we like and what we would change. And so we can all learn from each other's mistakes and, um, and eventually build, you know, our, all our own freedom pods to get out there and explore. Um, Kirk, I love it. Thank you so much for your time. Of course. Um, Thanks, Jack. That was great. Appreciate it. I will I will see you somewhere in the States on an adventure another time myself. But until then, I always finish by saying stay well, 
stay curious. I'll catch you the next time. Cheers. Good. Cheers, buddy. Take care. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you've gotten something from it, if it's resonated in some way, we would really appreciate if you share it with just one friend. It's the best way that the podcast spreads. It's the best way that we build a community of people showing each other that each one of us is both a masterpiece and a work in progress at the exact same time. Until next time, stay well, stay curious. Cheers.